0: what goes around and in this week's episode we are going to have a quick look at the film industry and specifically rock biopics. Are they ever any good?
1: We'll also talk about my experience moving house over the past couple of weeks and the little sliver of a moment that I found myself feeling like throwing all my records into the
0: bin and i took a little road trip today yeah it's the what goes around road trip time i went all the way down to not so sunny bristol let's say intermittently stormy bristol and visited three record shops to find out how that great rock and roll city's record shops are surviving the covid crisis and thankfully i came back with some pretty good news This week's guest is Andy Dawson, the prolific comedy writer and podcaster. You may know him best from his work with Bob Mortimer on Atletico Mints and Top Flight Time Machine. He's here to talk to us about late night viewings of Top of the Pops and all the good music in his life.
1: Eamon Murder, it's been such a long time since I've asked you this question. It feels like aeons ago. What goes around?
0: I wanted to talk about, you know how much I love a music documentary? Yes. I really yes, do. It is known. I cannot get enough of them, as you know. Well, a more fickle fish for me is the music biopic. Mm. And this week I saw a trailer.
1: <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Oh, <laughs> you know it's a stinker. Have you seen it? Have yes, seen I
0: have. It? Oh, my God. So the new David Bowie <laughs> film it's called Stardust. And um, <laughs> it just looks oh. so unbelievably bad. His accent is terrible. His body language is terrible. The script looks creaky as an old floorboard. And then you look a little bit deeper into it. They haven't got the rights to any (laughs) very music. How does, <laughs> how does
1: that work? I don't understand how that works. So they have to make up songs that are similar to the ones that he sings. Is there any music in it at all?
0: Well, someone suggested, you know, a mate of a mate said, oh, I'm well in with the Bowies. Don't worry. <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can sort this out. You start making the film, lad. I'll get the soundtrack sorted. And then, of course, Duncan Jones, Bowie's son, um, was just like, this film has nothing to do with us. Mm. Who is himself a
1: filmmaker, isn't he? Don't oh, yeah, it yeah, is he, yeah, of
0: some renown. You know, yeah. He's made some great, great films and he's made Warcraft as well. <laughs> um, uh, but, he, you know, he's really into his art and he knows what he's talking about. And they didn't like the script. They didn't like the idea. Um, and they said, no, we don't want anything to do with it. Mm. You know, if we're going to do a Bowie pick, then I'm sure the the Bowie estate could manage it a little bit better than this. Mm-hmm. Um so he just said no, and he distanced himself publicly from the whole thing. And at that stage, you're just thinking, what are you guys doing, mm. right? The family says no. There's no music from the artists you're featuring. And it, it's a pretty hokey-looking thing. And oh. it was I was properly cringing watching the trailer. I haven't seen the whole film, so I know it's terrible to review a film that I haven't really seen but I'm confident I think
1: we can I mean just the setup. I mean how could it be good with disapproval and none of the music and actually I mean the trailer if that's the if that's the best they can do Mm -hmm. like I just their best bits yeah I mean exactly that's supposed to make you want to watch like there's actually a bit in the trailer isn't there where he pulls up to an actual physical crossroads
0: (laughs) it's that level of writing I think it is that level yeah yeah, yeah, it looks well, like a
1: proper ham. I mean, we have to watch it.
0: Got me thinking about um, biopics because they are so hit and miss mm. and mostly miss mm. by quite a large margin. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to, you know, I asked some people on Twitter, like, what, what are the good and the bad biopics? Um, because a good biopic is good and a bad biopic can be delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I <can't laughs> yeah. quite agree. There's, There's one by Tito Jackson it's the Michael Jackson story but it's written by Tito. <laughs> uh, Electro Ed on Twitter uh, brought it to my attention and he was uh, telling me all about it um, and it, it sort of he says it basically it was, it was made for TV Michael Jackson by written by Tito himself and um, who knew that Tito was responsible for Michael's <laughs> phenomenal success.
1: <laughs> Only Tito that's why he had to get it out there and make this film. <laughs>
0: he, he alleges there are lines such as Oh, Tito, what was that cool dance move you did last night? Can you teach me? (laughs) Sure, son. It's called the moonwalk. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then another time he comes in the room and Tito's playing the bass. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I haven't seen it, but I really want to. Now. How
1: do we get a hold of it? Has it just been banned everywhere for being
0: awful? You know, they'll all be on YouTube. Yes, yeah, that's, point. Where, that's where bad films go to die, yeah. <laughs> and and many good ones as well. I must say, I'll give you three good ones. I think uh, Amadeus. Mm-hmm. That's a banger. Mm-hmm um surprisingly i thought the nwa film was not the car crash it should have been
1: was to to I, I i didn't watch it because someone said the second half of it was just all about contract <laughs> contracts and paperwork
0: yeah but i'm a i'm a geek i love this. <laughs> 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 well i'm a now yeah no it's be worth going and the other ones i want to mention um are, uh, they're not real pop stars but uh, a lot of talk it suddenly turned around to david essex Did two films in the eighties, one called "That'll Be the Day" and one called "Stardust," I think. Mm. Um, And they were about this um, pretend rock and roll star. Um, But we really enjoyed those; they Mm. were really good. You know, they're Mm. kind of like play for today style, but it was, you know, worth a watch. I'd say.
1: We really had to dig deep to find some good ones. (laughs) It's not a good sign.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mate, there is a there's a big pile of offal and a tiny gem of goodness at the bottom of it.
1: Yeah, stick to the documentaries. That's what we got to do.
0: Stein, Queen of the Airwaves. What goes around in your head this week?
1: Thank you for addressing me by my proper title. Mm. Most people don't. It's quite hurtful when that happens. <laughs> well, you've earned it darling. <laughs> thank you. you. Thanks. Um, thank you for asking. Well, I've been moving house, as we heard in the last episode. I'd literally phoned it in last week, as you heard, <laughs> um, because I was moving. Yeah, not house. that
0: I was upset about that. <laughs> part-time. Sounds I sad. know.
1: But I was uh, I was in deep hell, as I said. I mean, I'm being very dramatic about it. I moved house. I knew house is much nicer and i'm very glad to be here but like fucking hell i can't believe how naive i was when you have stuff like books and records you look at them in your house and they're on shelves and you're like they're very tidy Mm. that won't take up much space and then suddenly they're off the shelves and in boxes and you're just you're you're surrounded and your whole life is just dominated by boxes of these physical things and you go through all these different emotional stages about why do I have these who am I do I need these why am I taking these to a new place should I just cut, cut them loose and begin a, a life anew now they're all they're still in boxes but they're in my house I don't have to think about moving them anymore and obviously I'm glad to have them and everything else but it did make me think about um you know legendary DJ Bill Brewster the grand poobah of DJs in many respects, he put out a controversial article uh, a little while ago now in MixMag. He basically got divorced and moved house and did the thing that I was threatening in my head to do, which is, I don't need these. These are, uh, you know, dead weights that are pulling me back towards an old life. I'm just going to get rid of these. And he got rid of all his records and moved house into a new place with with none of the records. Plays his Mm -hmm. music digitally now. And um, has no regrets,
0: as far as I know. Yeah, see, I, I see that. And then I, I think, let's look in the wider context, <laughs> had a divorce. Uh-huh. Got rid of all his life's work. <laughs> He's perfectly happy. I'm fine. It's great. I've got a ready meal for one. You know, I just don't know. It sounds like he seems to be having it's... a very good time. He seems in great form. I'm literally, I'm not logical on these <laughs> at all.
1: So you know. can never see yourself. Say if you have, some, God forbid, something bad happened. You have to... <laughs> you say, are going to say that?" <laughs> Let me ask Go. you an extremely horrible question. If something happened and you felt like you had to downsize and there just wasn't going to be enough room in your life for all these records, do you think you would ever contemplate just for the sake of saving yourself a headache and the sort of inconvenience and the stress of moving all these records? Do you think you would ever consider downsizing your collection or getting rid of them?
0: I'm having a panic attack.
1: <laughs> you said keep it cheerful today
0: as well. I'm having fun. Yeah, yeah. so you're poking the, the <laughs> yellow through the cage. Yeah. No, I mean, oh, so I've had periods where I've tried to do that, like I say, but I've just always regretted it. And, mm. um, so you have tried.
1: Around... It's proven that it causes you pain and regret. Yeah, yeah no, mm. I,
0: I got rid of loads at yeah. one stage and then when I moved down to Portsmouth to, to become a computer games designer, I put, um, I got rid of a load and I put most of them the rest of them under my mum's stairs and I just had like two bags full of DJing records that I brought mm. out with me um, and I was alright for a couple of months and then I just got sad because mm. I, you know the, the whole thing of phonographic memories that we have on the show that's a real thing to me those records to me they're like little instant reminders of everything that's important to me so mm. I don't know I I, I couldn't I couldn't reconcile myself to be joyful about it. I think I could do it if I had to, you know, if lives were on the line or whatever. But when people come around to my house, they look at my records and go, wow, that's a lot of records. And I always say, that's all I've done with my life. (laughs) (laughs) It literally pretty much is, you know. So I wouldn't wouldn't want to leave. Yeah,
1: I love that idea if it was like Life or Dead. Like if your records were on one track and there was a human child... (laughs) tied to another track would you would you drive the train
0: well i, I think about it i can remember once um i threw a party uh, a big rave up and um i was in a band called black ops science department at the time mm. and uh, we did a big techno set so my mate al had all his synthesizers and computers you know thousands and thousands of pounds worth of stuff and there was um, me and my other three djs and we all had our record bags and halfway through the night there was a fire in the cloakroom jesus nothing serious it was just like a bit of smoke and stuff but mm. you know the alarms went off and because it's a municipal building the fire brigade were instantly called mm. it was a middle of winter it was thick thick snow on the ground freezing temperatures everyone's sweating their ass off in this in this rave and suddenly all the house lights come up and there's sound cuts and and everyone's out everyone out everyone out there's a fire there's a fire you know it was a proper mm. shit there is actually a fire there's smoke and everything um so everyone started heading to the exits, and all the DJs ran the other way and grabbed their records. <laughs> <laughs> wow. so no, Keep them, keep them. They make you happy.
1: Oh, I, w- I will keep them. I will keep them. I was, I just, I, I, I wanted, I wanted reassurance that my little blip was natural, but now I see that it isn't. <laughs> it's a great betrayal to my record collection. So I need to work on myself. Thank you.
0: And here on What Goes Around, we like nothing more than a record shop. So I took the opportunity to travel down to the southwest of England and visit Bristol's finest record shops to discover just how they're coping in the age of the Rona. stop on the road trip was Idle Hands Records, a dance music shop in the heart of the St. Paul's area in Bristol. Right, so I'm outside Idle Hands Records in Bristol. And it's not really open, but hopefully he's gonna let me in. It's very kind of him because it's actually raining out here and it's horrible. Here we come. Oh yeah. Hiya.
2: Hello. My name's Chris Farrell, I run Idle Hands, um, just coming up to the 10th year of running it, and uh, yeah, welcome welcome to my shop.
0: 10 years, and that's actually quite a
2: long time. It's quite, it? I mean, yeah, in terms of record shops, that's pretty old, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is,
0: it really is, especially, you know, like, um, I suppose it's kind of been on the up in that time, but certainly when you started, it must have been quite a, a roll of the dice, I would have thought. Uh,
2: I mean, it, it, it was, but I was quite fortunate and I've worked in record shops for uh, including my own for about 18 years now so I came to Open Idle Hands I think I was I was just coming up to 30. One of the things I've always tried to do here is be a reflection of some of this kind of stuff that's happening in clubs.
0: I mean Bristol is a real dance music city isn't it it's it's
2: yeah it's, definitely
0: holds it all together really
2: definitely I mean I think it's it's just quite a strong city for independent music generally um, it's just maybe in the past, or at certain periods, it hasn't really necessarily shouted about it that much. When you look back at when um, a lot of the kind of independent shops around the country were started off the back of punk, some of the kind of distribution came through Bristol, or was from Bristol.
0: With well, Mark Stewart, the pop group, way back when. A- exactly, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, even, even then there was a kind of crossover with reggae and dub and all the rest of it. And, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a city which has had a lot of good record shops and thankfully it's, it's got back to that point now where there are a lot but definitely when i opened 10 years ago it was kind of it was kind of a bit doom and gloom and um there were a lot of people who thought i was mad <laughs> <And> <laughs> hey, I, and, and it, to
0: build a castle on this one. yeah and, and it wouldn't last but
2: i mean you know um this is another thing about running a business, actually being a bit bloody minded can yeah. uh, can see you through sometimes. So, yeah. And
0: speaking of which, after 10 years of muddling your way through, then of course the coronavirus comes along and shuts you down for six months or so. And you're back up now on a kind of more limited basis.
2: Again, the, one of the things about running a business is you have to change. And uh, for a long time, I've been really, really focused on the physical shop. I've always been really keen on the idea of that, but probably over like, the last year or so, I kind of... It's just become more apparent that people want to buy records online, yeah. you know, different people, you know, a younger generation coming through, you know, they, they live their life through the internet. And I'm probably just the last generation who didn't grow up with the internet. So in a way, although this year's obviously been really tricky and, you know, a lot of people have suffered, I've, I've kind of been one of the fortunate ones. i got, I got the kind of headspace to actually take the business online and uh, actually make a bit of a go of it, and it's it's going all right, you know, so um, considering everything else that's gone on, it hasn't been too bad. You know, everyone's kind of playing like lower tempos, they're kind of playing those album yeah, tracks, whatever, yeah. so in a weird way, it's it's quite fun. One of the things I've always enjoyed about the record shop is seeing how things kind of subtly change through, through time, and like how different kind of trends work through dance music, and um, you know, just kind of moving the stock around a little bit, and changing, you know, changing focus on that. We can push at the edges of what's what people like, and yeah. you there's, know, there's um, a bit of
0: music for every mood you're in, and, and
2: yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: If, if people can't dance at the minute, well, they they still want to hear things, and they still you still want to have the society around you reflected through music all the time. I think dance music, especially, is um, it's kind of the the quickest to react to changes in society, and often yeah. it's the catalyst for some of that change as well. But because it's you know it, it generally it moves in very swift kind of waves of fashion i think yeah. you can you can really gauge the temperature and feeling of a place by what's out in that in the, the few months before you know
2: we well, can also tell what drugs are popular at a time as yeah, well that's can't true. You? <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for talking to us no worries
3: The
0: second shop was a marvellous new community hub called Strange Brew, which features a record shop, a live music area, a cafe, and a gallery space. And rather amazingly, they decided to open it now. Yeah. So how long have you actually been open then? Um, four weeks. Four, four weeks. weeks yeah. Really? Wow. That is a all out time to improv- <laughs> <Yeah>. open
3: <shop>. up. <laughs> yeah, it's not been easy. I mean, the night time's been good. Uh, the night time, you know, uh, we have DJs playing. And we started out doing events. We've been doing uh, sort of parties for about ten years, in, in often in unusual locations, yeah. such as um, swingers clubs and Hell's Angels bars, and, you know, <laughs> which um, yeah got us a good uh, reputation of throwing parties basically, yeah. and. Uh, we used to invite DJs from around the world, and yeah, they went really well. So it was just, after doing that for 10 years, it was, you know, what's the next step, so... And we worked Quite with a lot own. of venues, so we kind of felt we had a good idea of what it takes, you know, yeah. to, to well, It's a
0: lovely building, I have to say, it's really nice. Have you, have
3: you seen the back room? This is no, to, I haven't. Do you want have a,
0: yeah, please. This was going to be a, um, I mean, at the
3: moment it's been used as a kind of exhibition space, um, mm. So this is more of an art? More of an art thing, yeah. Oh, it's wow. going to double up as a club space as well.
0: I'll just describe for the listeners to See the front, there's a lovely, lovely space with a stage and a, a little bar where they serve coffees and sandwiches and stuff like that. And then a little record shop on the side, just kind of folded out. And here we are in the back room, and in this back room, there's lots of art in progress, it looks like. Some large <laughs> yeah. installation pieces being built. Um, various bits of wood. A, a deconstructed piano. A de- is that what it is? Yeah. Is it really? Oh, I've have a look at that. Oh, wow. They're all like the keys from a piano that's been pulled out and then made into... Yeah. A, 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 it's like a chair, isn't it? It's like a little throne. Yeah. That's amazing. And this yeah. is lovely. So the one side of the entire room is covered in... Sound insulation, which is like big cones pointing out, they look like blue pencils with black tips. Um, that, so I guess noise must be a thing. I mean, is it? Yeah, is well, we, we kind of hopefully we will be able to have two rooms going at once with hmm. music. Sounds like you've got some great plans here. Yeah,
3: I mean, yeah, there's lots of potential, and yeah, it's just, um, you know, working our finding our feet and working our way around the current sort of um, guidelines yeah. on the COVID and socially
0: distanced and stuff. Yeah, hard times for everyone, I think, but uh, yeah. it looks like, you know, if you're already going, and you've already got some things going on yeah. so far, and then you've got the potential to move in back here as well, and once things, once the road calms down a bit, yeah. then hopefully, yeah. So is the record shop kind of its own entity? Does it have its own name, or is that the string? Yeah, the record team?
3: shop is Planet Caravan. Um, Planet Caravan. Well,
0: it's yeah. superb, I must say. I'm going to have a little dig, if you don't mind. OK, yeah. final stop on this record shop odyssey is the center for better grooves where we talk to the legend that is gordon montgomery not only a proud record shop owner but the founder of fop records
4: what's the name of the shop and how long the name of the shop is the center for better grooves and um i'm in my sixth year of business
0: so did you, you used to work at fop is that right
4: I started Fock.
0: That's right, you did, yeah. Because okay. I was reading about it when I was coming down, so... Yeah. Well, you know about the record business, then. A little, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. This is different
4: to what I did at Fox, So this is more
0: about a generalist shop, would you say? It's not not skewed in one
4: direction for anyone? Um, I'm pretty strong on certain genres, but no, I like to cover most uh, genres that have potential for sales, so yeah, I don't yeah. stop much classical like yeah. that just doesn't sell. <laughs> Uh, country doesn't sell, easy listening doesn't sell, jazz from the 1950s doesn't sell, because most of the people who want that are dead anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's dead man's music. So, But I'm, I'm strong on American black music, jazz, soul. I'm good at Latin, Brazilian. The reason why I'm, I buy the used, uh, the, the, the new, as well as the used, is, um, although a lot of shops don't do it, I think you start to see maybe a few more. Mixing the two together, it's, it's a record shop. It's laid out yeah. like a record shop. Yeah. Some people mix and match. Some people prefer to buy new. Um, certainly, younger generation like a nice repress and a shrink wrap. Yeah, of don't course. A dirty old scratch record, and
0: others. Yeah, it's hard to choose because sometimes I really like, you know, to get something clean, like a really nice clean. that You think, oh, this is pristine. It's going to be. A... But then nothing is better than. Picking something up that's like a bit an object from history, do you know? Yeah, of words?
4: course, but then you've got to find them, and the people aren't exactly. bringing it in. All yeah. the great yeah. records—they're not bringing them in. Yeah, is, is it hard to find second-hand collections Yeah, it's getting it's getting quite difficult. And vinyls become the preferred um, format, hasn't it? For it's a lot of people, again, and, it? And, it, and it's not going away. It's building. CDs and sales are diminishing, and record sales are. Replacing. They they got pick up new customers all the time.
0: I mean. That is good. It's a nice little place, I like it. So six years, then, so it's not... Yeah. Does it feel nicer having a, a sort of scale down? Because I imagine Fock must have been, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big business with a lot, of, a lot of shops, wasn't it, at one stage? But it still is, really.
4: I didn't really enjoy it towards the end.
0: No, I bet. It's, a, it's hard work, isn't
4: it? You least controlled. Yeah. The work was rather tedious, because in the end I was just dealing with landlords.
0: And how, right. how has it been with the whole...
4: Very revision, good and all that sort of stuff. Very good. Really?
0: Yeah, very good. Uh, <laughs> <but> the
4: lockdown <laughs> itself, I mean I did local deliveries. a lot of regular customers. I've got a database of them. Yeah, all my products are is. listed on so you're like like the delivery streams. of
0: records? <laughs>
2: yeah, it, it was very I nice. I need to, some
0: Lonnie Liston Smith and you send
4: a man out exactly, other the Exactly, <laughs> yeah, Lonnie Liston Smith, my, yeah, he's a top seller, yeah. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, with, 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 when the lockdown came, oh. of course, it was a bit of a shock, and, you know, I remember counting the third day and thinking, oh, I can't cope with it. But in fact, I'd had a shipment from America that came in the morning we closed, and I thought, oh, what have I done? What well, you going
0: to do that don't,
4: You've made another mistake in your life. Here you go again. <laughs> and it's a sign of madness, isn't it? Way. And of course, they absolutely flew out, and with the local deliveries as well. Um, and that was quite—I I really got into that because the, the roads, were clear. the weather was good, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, you even you get get the anywhere, wind was quick <laughs> Driving around, it was in the twenty-mile radius, and I really quite enjoyed that part. And, and since then, and since we reopened after the lockdown, sales has been very, very good. Very good indeed. Yes.
0: Excellent. Well, that's nice to hear because it's—it's one of those things where you kind of expect. I've gone to a few different shops and had a few different kind of tales on how they cope, some better than others, you know. And it's nice to, to know that you uh, you feel like you've managed to sort of ride it out a little bit.
4: Yeah, I think um, we put, uh, I've got it works for me as well, we put the effort in, you know. I try not to be out of stock of certain titles now. Yeah. So if you want a room I've always got it in stock, because you
0: can't tell if you don't have it. You know? I can tell how much you actually have, you know, you have a deep love for it. Or do you still find things um, that you haven't heard before that, that give you that feeling? i mean
4: yeah, obviously not as often yeah. perhaps but you still well, have those
0: moments was, uh, well yeah because things pass you by don't you oh well listen it's lovely to talk to you and um this looks like a great record store so i'm, I'm gonna have a little dig well I'm it is it.
4: it is a great record store. <laughs> yeah of <laughs> <laughs> course it is i'm gonna tell the world about it don't worry we? well it is you know because um i'm, I'm showing you things that
0: other really people You come here and see that that's it
4: you know this is oh, Wonderful. This
0: what we're gonna, what we're gonna, what we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time.
1: Do it too much. That's right. Name that tune. Get up everybody. Name that tune. Uh,
0: uh. On today's episode, we welcome podcaster, author, journalist and one-time Princess Diana impersonator Andy Dawson, the artist formerly known (laughs) as Profanity Swan. Andy has been making people laugh through his writing for decades now and regularly tops the iTunes comedy charts alongside Bob Mortimer with his wildly popular Atletico Mints podcast. He also fronts another chart-topping podcast, Top Flight Time Machine, with talk radio's Sam Delaney. And personally, I know Andy best through our shared obsession with late-night repeats of Top of the Pops. Together, we have ranted and raved at pretty much every episode from 1967 to 1990. And it's this kind of dedication to music that makes Andy Dawson the perfect choice to share his phonographic memories. Welcome aboard, Andy. Hello, thank you very much for having me today.
1: It's a pleasure.
3: <laughs> little Pinterest
0: pause there, I thought, oh, what have I done quite <laughs> I
3: was quite, 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 quite impressed by the little CV run-through you gave me there. I didn't realise I'd done so many things.
1: Eamon has this amazing habit of writing these big bombastic biographies of people to introduce them and uh, then there'll be a sort of uh, quiet voice afterwards going actually that's not quite right. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something in there. But was that all correct Andy? That was that was all
3: absolutely spot on even the Princess Diana stuff. Yeah, that was a long time amazing. ago. Yeah. Tell us
1: about that. I want to
3: hear more about that. <laughs> that was it. That was a, a very early Twitter thing. It was in the early days of of um, people doing spoof Twitter accounts. Of various characters and i decided i would become princess diana tweeting from um showbiz heaven uh, where she was residing with all the dead celebrities except that she was incredibly sweary and it uh it kind of it kind of took uh took on a life of its own quite quickly and and got it, i think it went viral as i believe they say yeah, um, that's what the kids and say. yeah yeah that's what the kids say so that that was probably one of the earliest um, positive things that i did on twitter that ended up leading to more sort of similar types of work. So that was uh, that was fun and, and, and positive. So yeah. Back
1: when Twitter was just a nice place for sort of irreverent fun Yeah, the, before it yeah, became The assessment.
3: halcyon days, the halcyon <laughs> days of it, yeah. With all the early adopters. Yeah. yeah, it was good then. Yeah, that was good. We were still photographing our lunch at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> I still do that. I think this was actually, it was probably pre-photographs. I think when it was just, just yeah, text. So, yeah. You yeah. couldn't even put pictures up. Well, I first became
0: aware of you was the Princess Diana. Thank stuff. You. Yeah, you. You've had a few incarnations. And let's not forget the uh, the fabulous uh, get in the sea moment, which is, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, was again, that you?
3: That yeah. was me <gasps> as well. Again, again, that's something else which just involved me swearing a lot on Twitter. It seems to be something that I've done kind of um, sporadically over the past decade or so. You've altered Uh, the,
1: you've literally altered the lexicon of the whole world with that phrase. I can't (laughs) believe that was
3: you. Well, I've got to say I didn't come up with it. I'd I'd seen it used around by a few other people, Uh, but then I kind of took it and ran with it and made a a Twitter account out of it and used it to sort of highlight all the things that uh, I thought deserved to be put in the sea. (laughs) Um, And I stopped doing that in a spring 2016 i think it was and that was just before the brexit vote and just before trump announced he was going to stand for president so i think i stopped at the right time because if not yeah. i would have just descended into a d- deranged spiral of, of fury Guys, yeah um yeah the sea would have just been full so yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd be like, you can start a new account saying get back on the line <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: oh i didn't know that was you i'm, I'm starstruck now <laughs> yeah, that was me as well.
3: Yeah,
0: been busy. Yeah, that's very good. And of course, um, you've done extraordinarily well with the podcasts, um, Atletico Mints and um, Top Flight Time Machine, and uh, they are still
3: going strong. I see. You, you posted some of the
0: lovely cartoons this morning.
3: Yeah, of, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're doing we're doing well. We've done a couple of new episodes recently. Bob's been away fishing, doing his fishing series. Yeah. Over the past few weeks, we kind of just reconvened uh, recently and we've done three new episodes, but there's a few more to come, I think, over the next few months. So um, we did some live shows earlier in the year as well, which was just the
0: best fun. Yeah, don't 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 worry about that too much, Andy, because... I've actually booked to see you three times, and all oh, three God, times yeah. it's gone wrong. That's right, yeah. There's babysitting <laughs> issues before, isn't it? And that was the first one. Was the babysitting issues? And <laughs> now there's been then. Was, then COVID happened. So yeah. And then I got a, an email maybe a month ago saying, "Oh, it's all back on from the from the theater, And then they went, "Right." It's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> ah, so oh, right. that's a
3: hat trick of not seeing you.
1: What it is? We
3: are trying <laughs> to, to get those shows rescheduled, but only when it's completely safe. So hang tight, we'll get there eventually, Emma. Exactly. Well, I think like, I,
0: I could just leave it there because I've got a friend who, um, who is in his 50s now and he admitted um, to me that he had never tried a banana in his, <laughs> in his entire right. life. And I'm like, mate, right. I'll get you a banana now. And he's like, no, I've decided if I've got this far, I'm never trying one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Can you talk to us about Atletico Men's for the uninitiated? How can you describe it succinctly? It's
3: quite hard to describe. <sighs> yeah it is isn't it It doesn't have to be well i mean it started out as it started out as a football podcast um i I got to know bob through twitter so that's the twitter thing again um and we we decided we were going to try and do a football podcast then we realized about three episodes in that football's quite dull um and that we we kind of rather just talk about anything but it's it's kind of still got a football connection because there's characters from the world of football in there but they're not doing football stuff and then we we do other things as well. We do songs and and we do little quizzes with each other. And um, it's just it's just sort of developed into this weird and wonderful thing that that people seem to be really into. That's but I mean, true. when you've got when you've got Bob Mortar involved, you can't really go wrong. To be <laughs> honest, so that's uh, true. You know, it's it, national treasure and all that sort of thing. So, it, it, like, like I said, with the live shows that we did, it's just, it's just the best fun. It's the best job I could possibly hope for. Um, and Touchwood, that will go on for a, a little while longer. Yeah, it was a joy to watch it kind of blossom as well, because I think like
0: it, obviously when you when you started, it was like, oh, it's it's nice, is Bob and Andy, This is, nice. is going to be fun. And then I had four or five episodes in, just all the football went out the window, when it was just like the real <laughs> yeah. flight of fantasy, which, which yeah, to be honest, yeah, totally. I have enjoyed immensely. Especially um, I've got I've just got to say that the Peter Beardsley bits are my favourite thing on on podcast well, world.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it, it baffles me how it took 50 episodes for him to get to do Peter Beardsley because it just seems like the most obvious thing for him to do <laughs> once you've encountered it. But um, yeah, the Beardsley stuff is just... its up, I think it's up there with some of the best stuff he's ever done, to be honest. I might be slightly yeah. biased, but I think it's up there with with, with Bob's finest ever work mm-hmm. throughout kind of 30 years of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so if you haven't listened to Athletic Moments, give it a go. You've also got Top
0: Flight Time Machine, which is uh, again a... A roughly football-based podcast, which yeah. again has basically what I'm thinking is Andy that you like football, but you, mm. you're bored easily. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Again, it started out as a football podcast. We'll cover in different Premier League seasons in each one, and then we realised that there was many, many other things more interesting and fun to talk mm. about. So it's still got a footballish kind of name, mm. but again, there's no there's no real football content in there. And with Top Flight Time Machine, it's almost become like. Um, a radio show, mm. in the sense that we do five episodes a week, but they're all like about half an hour, so there's something f- every day for the the, uh, the the listeners who are really into it. As you say, you don't you don't sit there every day at like oh, eleven o'clock, right? <laughs> got to, got we kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> kind of did for a long time, and then and then we realised like three of the episodes in the middle of the week aren't topical at all. So why are we waiting to do them on the day we put them out? Just do them all on a Monday morning, and you no. Know, put our nice. feet up for the rest of the week but <laughs> um, time management yeah, can work. that's exactly what it is it's life logistics but uh yeah top flight time machine again that's got a, a nice uh it's a bit more niche i think than mince but it's got a nice dedicated audience and uh it keeps me busy keeps me out of trouble so yeah again long may that continue yeah
0: i very much enjoy when you uh, dip into footballers biographies because they're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're just always a joy aren't they either well, take they take themselves are, yeah. Well, they always just take themselves way too seriously it's just a delight to read them out loud is um yeah Yeah. just shows it all up
3: yeah that was kind of when we 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 hit our stride i think when we did roy kane's second autobiography yeah across seven episodes uh and then we got slightly a bit more indulgent because then we did kevin keegan's autobiography and we did 49 episodes of that (laughs) um Yeah, we were on with that for nearly a year. And right. now we're doing, we're working our way through Royal the Rovers week by week. So we reckon we're going to get six or seven years out of that. So <laughs> that syndicate stuff. That's, fine yeah.
0: With
3: that. Oops, we're oh, sort of oh, doing yeah. wrong,
0: Anne. We need to find some regular, pu- we, we, let's just go back and start the enemy again.
1: Well, Mariah Carey just yeah. released her memoir and I'm looking for an excuse to read it. So oh, let's do that.
3: Well, I've just got the, I just bought the, I didn't buy it. I've got Audible where you get a free uh-huh. credit every month. I've yeah, just yeah. got Mariah's audiobook as my free credit for this month because it's read by Mariah she herself. She reads
0: it. Oh, oh yeah. About to ask. That's Amazing. gold. Yeah, yeah.
3: That's why I got it. It's 11 and a half hours long. So
1: what's not to <laughs> love about that? <laughs> that's why you have to record all the podcast episodes together on a
3: Monday. To yeah. Give you have time to do important <laughs> stuff like that. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. And that will right. then feed back into the podcast. So, you yeah, know. That's true. Yeah. Exciting. That you've got it's to stay giving. ahead of the curb. exactly.
1: Yeah. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. I have Audible too, so that's a good tip. I didn't realise it was her reading it.
0: it that is. makes all the yeah. difference. That's it? exciting. Yeah. It does. <laughs> Perfect stuff. And of course, um, like I say, I I've really got to know you through um, through snarking at Top of the Pops. Um, mm. So you know, your uh, your interest in music is uh, long standing
3: and runs pretty deep, doesn't it? It does. I mean, our earliest life memory, I would say, would be Top of the Pops. Um, going back to kind of 1975 almost, so I'll, I'll have been sort of three. I can remember um, Donna Stella and Windsor Davies from mid date off Hot Mum singing Whispering Grass. <laughs> and I can remember That's Laurel and ha- Laurel and Hardy being in the charts with uh, The Trail of the Lonesome Pine. And then I can remember David Bowie doing Space Oddity being number one with that. So that, that ages me about three. All of my pocket money was spent on records, and then CDs when they came along. Uh, and as I'll mention a bit later on, I ended up working in a record shop, so it's was just like a kid in a toy shop, basically, <laughs> yeah. d- doing that. Yeah, music has just been there, you know, a, a constant since I was as, as young as I can remember.
1: Was it Top of the Pops that, that played, like, a key formative role there, or what, what do you think... What do you think led you in that direction?
3: I think it will have been... I can't think of anything else that would have been around... Mm. Where music would have been on TV, um, we always had the Radio 1, Radio 1 was always on in the house, uh, and I think it's Top of the Pops plus the Top 40 Rundown on a on a Sunday afternoon were the two things. I, I learned quite early on how to record songs off the radio, um, <laughs> so I used to be able to just c- compile my own tapes of oh, my yeah. favourite um, stuff from the charts. But of course, home taping kills music, as they told us back then.
1: <laughs> it didn't, but, though, um, did it? That was a lie. It didn't, know. exactly.
3: Did. <laughs> yeah,
1: I couldn't afford to buy
3: all the records I wanted, so... Exactly, and you can't take the in, burden
1: yeah. of that responsibility, killing music.
0: No, but, exactly. Yeah. How good and how quick were you on, on the
3: pause button to get rid of the talking <laughs> in between tracks? Oh, I was good. Ninja. Oh, I was good, yeah. But the, the beauty of the Top 40 Countdown was that they... They didn't used to talk over the introduction, they'd play the whole song. So uh, you would you would get almost a clean record of the whole thing. Whereas if it was just one of your regular uh, Radio 1 shows, you'd have the DJ talking over the intro, which of course ruined it. Yeah. But also... the, the other thing as well was Radio 1 was in medium wave, but then they used to go to Radio 2's FM frequency on the Sunday for the charts, so you'd get a stereo recording of the, mm. of the nice. song, so it was better quality. I'm going full nerd already here. Right? That's great, isn't <laughs> no,
1: I love it. I love the radio nerd stuff. I was just thinking like my producer at Jazz FM is always trying to get me to talk a bit over the intro or outro of tracks. And to me, that's just like forbidden territory. Does, yeah. any, does anyone enjoy it when a DJ does that? The DJ. At all. I feel like that's not. a widely acknowledged <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, the DJ with the sound yeah. of their own voice. Even I don't lo- love yeah. the sound of my own voice that much. I don't know why but that's a thing in radio.
3: But then when I was slightly older and I got a, a John Peel, Listen to John mm. Peel, he didn't talk over the intros or the outros, he'd play the whole thing. Yeah. So that was um that was an indicator that he was doing the right thing, I think.
1: Exactly. Did so you mentioned you were obviously watching Top of the Pops and listening to the top forty. How did you sort of streamline your taste? When did you start getting into more specific, sort of more niche kind of stuff?
3: Um it was I mean it was pro- it had been all chart stuff until about nineteen 19- Eighty five, mm. eighty four, eighty five, and it was um, I kind of deviated from the chart stuff a bit by listening to Annie Nightingale. She oh, no. used to have a re- she had a request show on seven pm on Radio One on a Sunday, which came straight after the top forty. So if you just carried on listening, she'd play people's requests, which were obviously not chart stuff, mm. and she'd play kind of new singles that were coming out as well and stuff that wasn't quite top 40 charty things Mm. so that kind of led me down a few paths into other things um and then there was a a local radio DJ on Metro Radio Newcastle called um Nicky Brown in about 1985 and he used to play kind of stuff that wasn't quite top 40 or he'd he'd play a new act so I, I got into groups like Erasure and um curiosity killed the cat I was into before they got into the charts kind of thing when they'd had a couple of singles I hadn't charted. Nicky Brown had been playing them on Metro Radio, so it, again, it was that, it was pop, but it was stuff that wasn't in the top 40, so you yeah. kind of, and then it, John Peel was after that in about oh. 87 eight, I think I started listening to him and when I was did, about 14
1: Did your like did your fashion sense sort of change along with that like were, did you belong to any of those kind of subculture mm, tribes no. in the 80s really no, so you no, stayed
3: on the guy. outside of those I've, I've never had any fashion sense and I still haven't got any um, <laughs> and I was I was never it was never a tribal thing it was always a solitary yeah. thing because I didn't have any I maybe Two mates at school who were into the similar kinds of music I was into, so I used to spend a lot of time bedroom bound listening Mm. to stuff, listening to the tapes that I taped. I used to pretend to be a DJ myself and do my own little radio shows in my bedroom. And look at you now! Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. And then practice, yeah, it's it it has kind of helped me in good stead, I think. Yeah, it's sort of a dream come true to do podcasts, and I've done some radio stuff as well, so uh. Yeah, so it was. It wasn't. A, it was never a tribal thing. It was always a sort of solitary kind of thing. But I've always been quite happy with my own company. So you know, it was wow. all good. I was very much um, similar
0: in that in that respect. So I, I, this is when I knew, I knew when I got into the psychedelic furs that I just wasn't like the other kids in school. <laughs> <And I> was, <laughs> and I'd go around like desperately. They were all like into wham and things. And I'd be, oh, listen to this, listen to this, and everyone, yeah. I was shunned big time. But then that, that you know. I did end up, like yourself, just locking myself away and listening and listening and listening and listening and listening and, listening and finding, finding my mm. own little little niche really. And then suddenly, yeah, when probably really when school broke up, you suddenly realised there were other kids from other schools and round the corner who actually liked this stuff. And, and certainly, you, you started to notice people dressing in certain ways. So you thought, what oh, goth? He's going to like the Cure, so we'll go and chat to yeah. him for a bit or whatever. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I Eamon, you yeah, were a full-on
1: was... committed Goth. What are you talking about? You didn't lock yourself away in your room. You've backcombed your hair into oblivion and went <laughs> that's, strutting that's around kind of what... looking for fellow Goths.
0: <laughs> Listen, locking yourself in your room is kind of very Goth. <laughs> that's of <course>. true, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just
1: saying, you know, you went you went that extra step. I did and you, the uh... extra mile.
0: Yeah. So then, Andy, how did it all start? How did you get into music in a big
3: way? What was the first thing that got to you? Um, I think the first stuff that I really, really got into was probably weirdly uh, punk, but it was kind of the dregs of punk and the kind of new wave stuff that came in around about 78, 79. I was into the Sex Pistols, but I wasn't into Anarchy in the UK. I was into um, um, when they did Silly Thing hmm. and after John Lydon had left and they became a bit of a kind of a... A, almost a, a joke punk group. I thought they were really good because they did Come On Everybody, which was the uh, Eddie Cochran cover mm-hmm. version, which was to me, they did that as well. I wasn't allowed to listen to that one. <laughs> so they did, They did. there was, there was Come On Everybody and um, I can't remember the other one they did, but, but it was like, but that was, to me that sounded like great pop music because mm. it, Come On Everybody is a great pop song mm. and it was the Sex Pistols doing it. And then I got into stuff like the specials and then Madness a uh, jury and the blockheads, all that kind of thing. Um, so I suppose my tastes were fairly left field. Um, but then that was that was kind of that was the mainstream pop music of yeah. seventy nine and nineteen eighty. Was, was then Blondie and things like that and the Jam. Um, there wasn't kind of um, teen pop that had been a few years ago before that. So I suppose that kind of cemented me tastes as being a little bit left field and a bit out there I suppose but um and then a new romantic stuff came in so I got into gr- groups like the Human League and uh, Depeche Mode and things like that and then that kind of leads into the first choice that I've chosen for for this podcast which was Blue Monday by New Order. Um, it is uh, and apparently this week it's it's in the midweek top 40 because it's just been reissued as a 12-inch to was go they? with the new New Order box set, so it looks like it's going to be back in the top 40 again. Who mm. um, not and... have that 12-inch? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Well, I've, I've, I've just bought the box set and I've oh. bought the 12-inch again. It's been remastered and I thought, well, I'll just get it again oh, because, yeah. you know, Why not? Was it because it was the the first time it really registered with me. It had been around for a, a couple of months, I think, and it slowly crawled up the top 40, and I was aware of it. But then I was at the, the Durham County Fair, which will have been early summer 1983, which was one of these things, you know, where they have, like, vegetable shows and prizes for who's got the biggest leak and that sort of thing. <laughs> and they they have, like, uh, displays of horses, or they'll have, like, a, a police dog team display you know, where the police dogs run round through zigzags, corns, and they jump through fiery hoops. That's a good use of of
1: resources.
3: (laughs) It is. I mean, if someone said to me right now, Andy, there's a police dog display team on down the road. I'd be down there with a camping chair and a, a flask full of tea straight away. Because to me, maybe it's the pandemic talking, but to me that seems like something that I'd really, really be happy to sit and watch. But it was one of those it was one of those annual summer county fair things and there was uh, a mini fairground as well. And I just remember being on the Ferris wheel and Blue Monday came on. Because obviously, you know, when you're at the fairground, they play the, the, the pop hits of the day yeah. sort of thing. And it just absolutely blew me away hearing it through a, a huge PA of a fairground. And I maintain to this day, there's no better place to hear pop music than a fairground. Mm. I have this. I've, I've often gone. I think we've had this conversation about 10 we probably years golf, have, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I always say like like um, fairgrounds are really important because um, you would hear music on the TV and and your TV was would have a you know in the 70s and 80s it'd be a crap little thing with a tiny. Yeah and maybe you'd listen to it on the radio and if you were really into it you might listen to it on headphones but the you know outside of the school disco where to be honest most school discos it's fairly tepid isn't it the one place the first place before you can bump into a proper club or a proper gig the fair is the first place you hear proper amplified music
3: absolutely how does it feel As I say, I'd been aware of it, but but it hadn't kind of like knocked me senseless, which kind of it did this day., mm. uh, so went out and bought it the week after. Um, and yeah, but the um the summer fair and county show was it was a big thing when I was growing up because we used to get uh, celebrities that would come along and open them. Noel Edmonds arrived in his helicopter one ah. year landed Ooh. in the middle of the field. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, <gasps> yeah sharpening, take a breath, Noel Edmonds. <laughs> and then the next year we had Keith Chegwin because they obviously couldn't afford to get Noel to come back again. <laughs> And <laughs> Noel must have told Cheggers. Scale here. <laughs> yeah, Noel must have maybe recommended Cheggers and just said, Yeah, it's a sweet gig this. <laughs> you just crazy. got to turn up and you'll, you'll, get, you'll get 400 quid. They'll pay your train fare. It's great. It's great fun. Get yourself along. I pictured Noel Edmonds uh, and
1: Keith Cheggman being on the same level, celebrity wise. In my mind at that time, they were like just as King. exciting as each other.
3: Yeah. Well, they were, but I, Keith was always Noel's kind of sidekick on Swap mm, Shop. Cheggers mm, was always on the road yeah. doing an outside broadcast thing, so yeah. Noel was very much the father figure and Keith was the <laughs> the uh, the child, if you like. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't know what I've got into this for. I don't know why I went down this, this road. I was talking about a new order a minute ago. That was me. I derailed you. We're back at the fair. We're back at the fair. The helicopter's landing. <laughs> we're on the Ferris wheel. Going up. And you he hear yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it, it, I think that and, and that summer as well, eighty three, there was a, there was it wasn't just that kind of in terms of electronic music like that, there was uh Two de Tour de France by Kraftwerk was out that summer as well. Mm-hmm. Which again is similarly um it's just what well, that fantastic clean sound and the and the, the, the beats and everything. Um, I'm not a music journalist. I'm struggling to describe it here. But um, "Rocket" by Herbie Hancock was another one as oh, well, yeah. which yes. it kind of had that kind of hip hop influence mm-hmm. coming into it as well. Um, so that that was just that felt like a game changer, I think, for mm-hmm. for me. Do you remember when um, New Order played Top of the Pops and did Blue Monday live? Yeah, yeah. awful, isn't it? Did you watch
0: that? Because <laughs> I, I had the twelve yeah. the time, and I was telling all my mates at school, "This tune is the boss tune. This is the yeah. one." Uh, And then they're on (laughs) top of the pop. So me and my brother are like, turn up, turn up. And he's like, just, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's it's an electronic song where the band are basically pretending to play stuff. And uh, Barney, foolishly or perhaps with great bravado, decides to do the vocal completely live.
3: Yeah, they've always done that on Top of the Pops. They've always done Top of the Pops live. And it was, they said it was to kind of maintain their punk credentials or something like that. But they've all, right. they, they, there's a, a long history of of really dodgy Top of the Pops performances by New Order. I mean, th- that was when I first got into them. And they, I think they've probably been my favorite group right through since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I must have seen them about almost a dozen times, I think, live. But they've always done Top of the Pops live. And I think every time the single's gone down the charts the week after.
0: Because it's it was, never it was acted a real, as a it, it was a real disappointment though. I can remember just a bit like yeah. being so into it and then and then just like I don't know, the vocals sounded a little echoey and they were very flat and he was a little out of tune. Yeah. I think the other thing is I'd done that thing which I always do, which I'd hoisted my colours to the to the to the mast <laughs> and I told everyone how brilliant it was. And the next day everyone's yeah. going, Shut up. Man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what were they, are they, were they? I've never seen them live. Are they? Are they like that generally,
3: or is it just like some are kind of alchemy
1: on top of the pops?
3: I've, I've seen them like nearly a dozen times. They've, yeah. it's, it's kind of hit and miss sometimes. Mm. They've got more professional over the last few years, and they're, they're reliably great now when you go and see them. But, but you know, back twenty years or so ago, you never really knew what you were going to get. Yeah. And of course, when it's all, they've got to bring in all their computers and synths and everything like that, and try and set it up in the top of the pop studio. It doesn't make for a, 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 a you know a good viewing experience. I, so I, they've got this history of doing it and it's never really worked out for them.
1: But I love you how know. you've committed to them so much. You've gone to see them a dozen times, fully acknowledging that it's hit and miss. <laughs> like you head into, you get yeah. your ticket and you're like, this could be shit. But I love this band. Yeah. I feel like that's, uh, that's proper yeah. old school commitment.
3: It is, but I think when it when it's good, it's it's almost transcendent. Okay. In its greatness. So I mean, it's kind of like the fall as well. I went to see the fall about six or seven yeah. times, and there was a couple of times when I would leave the gig and say, it "Never again," <laughs> because he'd he'd come on and he'd do thirty minutes and then wander off yeah. and then he'd come back on, or they'd just be like just awful. Yeah. But you keep going back. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> you keep reaching for that 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 moment of greatness. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, I think the good thing about
0: Blue Monday was that uh, even though certainly the, the vocals can go a bit all over the place for sure, the, because of the electronic nature there and the fullness of the, the synthesizers and stuff, the, the, the overall sound is always impressive. It's always it's always big. Do you know what I mean? It really does. Yeah, I, I remember seeing them at, um Reading Festival once with a massive light show, uh, mm. tail end of the '80s, and it, it was just a, mm-hmm. a fabulous show. But but there were some loose moments <laughs> towards the end of yeah, Barney. He came yeah. stumbling up and just went, I think this is the first
3: festival I've been to where the band are more out of their head than the audience. <laughs> 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 kind of rolled off the stage. <laughs> I, I bet it wasn't Barney. Because <laughs> I think that was part of the problem. I think that was part uh, of the problem with their erratic uh, live nature uh, was that they were either too refreshed or not mm. before they went on. <laughs> that makes but, sense. I and mean, Bloom one day, I think it's one of those songs where you can almost become too familiar with it, and if you take a bit of a break from it and then go back in with clean ears, it's mm. just incredible. Mm. The, the fact mm. that they... And it was the thing as well, which they've admitted themselves, they were using technology they didn't know how to use, and that always brings out the best in uh, musicians, I think. when If you don't know the rules, mm-hmm. then you're automatically breaking them, so you're coming up with stuff that you you know, you don't really know what you're doing. It's all kind of experimental. I think that's what happened to Blue Monday. They'd got some new sequences or something and they were just yeah. testing it out. Uh, and it, it led to that, that that you know, that beat at the start that's of so the track. True.
1: It's kind of like a naive it, kind of sound.
3: Yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds almost like it was beamed down from outer space. There's two <laughs> tracks that are like that for me. And still, I can't believe that they're as old as they are. There's that and there's Donna Summer I Feel Love. Oh, yeah. Which to me just sounds like it could be still from the future, even though it was 1977 or whenever when it mm. came out. It's just Absolutely. weird. <laughs> it's very brave of them as well at the time
0: because it, it was the, the I can't remember the drummer's name now. Stephen Morris, that's his name. Yeah. So Stephen Morris, I thought, was particularly brave in the order because um, there he was, the drummer in the band, at a time when there was still a great deal of. Um, Kind of cynicism about synthesizers in general. You know, people. Mm. The musicians' union was still calling for them to be banned from from played yeah. on the BBC and stuff. Um, and there's there's the drummer, Mr Morris, and he's out there listening to Arthur Baker in New York, and he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll make myself
3: completely redundant by, <laughs> by yeah. sticking a drum machine <laughs> on this track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. I mean? was watching an interview recently. I was watching an interview with them recently talking about Power Corruption and Lies, that album that had, well, it didn't have mm-hmm. Blue Monday on it because that was another great thing about them. They put singles out separate to the albums. It was that, that again, that added to the, not the mystique, but that kind of, uh, almost that, cult thing that they had because they were different and they were doing it differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were on factory records and factory records was a, a mad social experiment all of its own. I could sit and talk about factory records for ages, but uh, it was, it was that thing where they they'd release an album, but then they put a single out two months later that wasn't on the album. So you had to just kind of be into the whole thing and try and keep on top of it all and mm-hmm. collect it all. But uh, yeah, Stephen was saying in this this documentary thing on YouTube that uh he, uh, it was the the only album that he didn't really contribute to in terms of playing, but he got into programming. He was the kind of the nerd mm-hmm. of the group that was really into the programming as well. And he says, but in the end, I just took a lot of acid during the recording of that <laughs> album. And it came out like it did. So there you go. Always helps.
1: <laughs> Should we move on to your next phonographic memory then? Tell us about the next track. Yeah.
3: The next one is by a group called American Music Club. And it's a track called Why Won't You Stay from their album *Ever Clear*. Uh, and the first time I heard this was in uh, the record shop that I mentioned earlier, which was Our Price. Mm. Uh, and it was in the Metro Center at Gateshead where I started working for Our Price. And we'd, we'd moved into a, a new uh, shop and it was state of the art. And they had like listening facilities for the customers Uh, so they could go up to the counter with a CD and say, can I listen to this? And we'd put the CD in and it would automatically play the first 10 seconds of each track for them so Mm. they could hear a little bit of each track of an album before they decided if they wanted to buy it. Uh, Incredibly annoying for us staff because (laughs) we weren't selling things. You know, we just wanted to sell things and get them on the way. We don't want to be like the bloody personal DJs for them and stuff like that. But I remember the first CD that I tested out this, this listening facility thing on was American Music Club's Everclear album. I'd never heard American Music Club before. I'd read lots of glowing reviews of them in the music papers and Melody Maker, NME and all that sort of thing, but I'd never, never heard them. And I put this CD on. It's the first track on the album and it played the first 10 seconds. And I just thought, whoa, that's for me. That's absolutely for me. And I just fell in love with the group that minute. Um, and I've been to American Music Club ever since. Will this night fulfill all promises
4: And bury us in peace Would leave us free and forgetful Or at least bring some sleep Your eyes don't catch the little things As they narrow on your fall I'm shaking your pulse, because you're so quiet. I'm kissing you, but you don't feel
3: it. Why do you do this to me? The singer, uh, songwriter, a guy called Mark Eitzel, who is pretty much a genius and has never had anywhere near the recognition that he, he deserves. Uh, I don't know why. The, the, the group just people have been perpetually unlucky, and he's just been perpetually unlucky. And they've never achieved the kind of um, they've had the critical acclaim, but they've never had the kind of commercial success of, of mm. similar acts. I'm thinking, kind of like Jeff Buckley or maybe mm. Elliot Smith, people like that, mm. who he's right up there with those above and beyond, I think, but yeah. never managed to make it big. And it's it, it, that kind of tragedy kind of fits in with the nature of his songwriting, which is kind of just inherently tragic anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The songs are, from a perspective of a drunk failure, a lot of the times, um, his his lyrical style is kind of like mournful, uh, but at the same time, just incredible. And some of his songs are just so, so good. So that kind of... I've chosen that because it was... First of all, it's a song and it's a group that I love Mm. daily, but also... um, it was part of the price thing, which like I said before, getting to work in a record shop when I was 19 was basically like getting the keys to the toy shop. Because it was kind of like, beforehand I had uh, radio to get me music from and um, you know, like John Peel and stuff like that. Uh, And then all of a sudden I could just access any album and listen to it in the shop or in the back room you know processing the stock and everything and it was like well i'll i'll i'll, I'll listen to this or i'll order that in listen to and, and yeah. you just basically there's almost all the music's there for you and yeah. you can just listen to all of it it was incredible it was and it didn't feel like a job yeah which was is just as well because it was very very badly paid yeah <laughs>
1: I think the whole working in a record shop thing has been a rite of passage for several guests we've had on the podcast. It seems right. to be the yeah. sort of turning point for a lot of people where suddenly they could access, like you say, anything they wanted to listen to. Yeah. Um, but can we talk a bit, um, we'll go back to that because that's Rich Pickens, but I want to talk about uh, American Music Club a bit because like, I wasn't familiar with them and um, I think it's interesting you say you know they've never had the commercial success that you feel they deserve, but like When you're really fond of a group like that, honestly, when you really, you know, ask Mm. yourself, do you really want them to have commercial success, or would you rather have them as something kind of just appreciated by you and a few, you know, and the other and a, a niche group of people?
3: Yeah, there is that. There is that thing. I mean, there's been loads of groups in the past that I've got into before they became big. I mean, I mentioned like Erasure and Curiosity Killed the Cat when I was about 13. That I was into them before the famous. And then they become kind of like really big pop acts, and you're kind of like, mm, I like them first. Okay. But no one's listening to you. No one cares. <laughs> and then after that, it was it was kind of like, I think um, Happy Mondays, I was into them for about uh, 18 months before they got massive. And again, I'm like, oh, everyone's into Happy Mondays now. Are they all oh, right? Fair enough. So I kind of, you kind of, you, you enjoy that niche thing where it, they're your group sort of mm. thing, but at the same time, um, you know, some success would be nice to stop them from being completely destitute, I suppose. Yeah, maybe. you want them but to be just
1: it's, it's... just on the right side of the line of destitution. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. and American Music Club, they did, they did sign a Virgin eventually, they, they, yeah. kind of on the back of the whole grunge thing when the, the major labels in 92, 93 were just signing up any American group that had guitarists in them. Um, and just tra- taking a punt on all of them they signed to Virgin and they did a couple of albums on Virgin which didn't do much and then they got dropped again and then they split up mm-hmm. and then they got back together again fifteen years later but um but the songs are just just incredible I think the American musical mark Eitzel is a is a genius songwriter who's mm-hmm. just um and if if anyone's listening to this and they get into them as a result of listening to this well you've got a lot of great stuff to get into so enjoy it.
1: And give Andy full yeah. credit for where you heard about them
4: first. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Buy us a pint if you see us, yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting as well, though, when, when uh, those kind of groups do um, uh, get lucky and and graduate to the bigger labels, quite often that spells the end of that sound. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can yeah. remember I was big into R.E.M. and um, yeah, um maybe the first album, Green, uh, on WA was, was mm-hmm. still... But after that, you could tell... I don't know if they were being heavily produced, but they were obviously having pressure put on them to, to be a certain way. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, they, And loads of people still love everything they've done after that.
3: It, I lost it. Yeah. I
0: don't think it was because, because they became successful. I wanted them to be successful. It, I wanted yeah. the world to know, but sometimes when they, when a band becomes really big, they just, for whatever reason, they kind of lose what it was that, that made them sparky in the first place if you
3: know what i mean yeah i nearly mentioned rem earlier when when i said happy mondays as well because that's another classic example of that because again i was i was in i got it rem when document came out in 87 Mm, and then green i think i think green's a brilliant album and then out of time which was the one that that broke them big i just don't like that album at all it doesn't hang together for me my problem with that as well is that i
0: can't work out why I can't put my finger on why it is that it all fell apart at that point but
3: it just didn't it stopped working for me and
0: I don't Mm. know why
3: that is yeah I mean but Losing My Religion was just a huge global hit but the album was just I was like is this it? this isn't as good as green but then they did Automatic for the People which was another brilliant album but that was almost a blip, I think, because then after that, it just sort of fell away. Mm. And in the end, you were kind of like, oh, God, another R.E.M. album. <laughs> and I never, I never, ever thought back in like 87, 88, when I was exploring the early albums, I would never have thought I would have gone, oh, God, another R.E.M. album. Are they just going <laughs> to pack it in or what?
1: I mean I think as bands like that get more successful as well the source material changes doesn't it they're not no longer writing about things that are kind of close to people's normal casual existence most of the time so it just becomes a little bit unrelatable and stale
0: there's definitely a lot to be said for that you look at the arctic monkeys I mean the the first time was so fantastic and quirky and queuing up outside clubs in Sheffield and just you know it was a real experience (laughs) that anyone who grew up in this country could relate to immediately. And like three hours later, I'm like, who the hell are you? <laughs> this, is this is why musicians
1: should stay poor. <laughs> like I say, just yes. on the right side of destitute, but no further than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to our price then. Tell us more about your experiences working there. What are some other things that you discovered? Do you have any particular memories that you treasure
3: from that time? Um. It was it was just kind of that thing of just being in an environment of, of just music all the time. Uh, I was in that shop in the Metro Center and then I, I got transferred to a shop closer to where I lived, which was in the Gallery Shopping Center in Washington, mm. um, which is, uh, um, it's, it's the home of what's called the Greg's Dummy. Which is a sausage roll um, in the mouth of a child in a buggy. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> was,
3: if anywhere is the epicenter of the Greg's Dummy, it's probably Washington <laughs> Gallery Shopping Center. So I, I ended up working in that one, but that was even better because there was only, I think, four full time staff and two or three part timers. Mm-hmm. So I got to hog the CD player even mm-hmm. more when I was sort of yes. working on the counter. Um, and then sitting in the back room as well there was a tape player you could play the tapes as well and it was yeah it was it was just this is my job um and you know i had mates who were working for like Barclays bank and stuff like that and i thought well i've I've done well here so far because this is like i get to go to work and listen to music that i like Mm. kind of the whole day there was the downside of you interacting with the you know the the public and stuff oh, like it's that the worst but, part, yeah yeah but um you kind of overlooked that it was really bad at christmas because they were always in buying yeah. things and christmas presents and stuff like that and and bad but things. i mean yeah oh really bad things well when i first started at l price i started on a monday and it was the day that um Brian adams everything i do i do for <laughs> you was released oh wow and the next monday it was number 1 in the charts and it was number one for the following 15 weeks after that. And I thought, well, this is no fun, you know, because one, <laughs> one of the jobs, obviously, is to, is to rearrange the singles chart, you know, at the start of the week when the new chart comes out. And every week, freaking Brian Adams are still number one.
1: And people coming in and asking uh, for it. And you're like, it's right there.
3: Yeah, yeah. And you're having to order like 200 copies of it on CD single because everyone's buying it. You think, What's wrong with people? There's a new American Music Club, old man. Why not buying that? (laughs) Was that
1: part of the downside, though? Because I found myself and Eamon have both worked, had stints working in record stores. And and I was expecting it to be a place where I'd find my people. But it just made (laughs) me despair for humanity a little bit. Like the amount of crap people were buying was just like hard to stomach.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it was our price, so it was it was a high street record shop. Yeah. If I'd worked in like an indie store, perhaps I would have found me people. <laughs> but um, but having said that, I loved pop music when I was a little kid, and I've still kept that right the way through till mm. now. I I'm, I still love pop music, and I I did then as well, and uh, sort of electronic music and dance music. Um, I, I never kind of got massively. in uh, what you would call serious music? I've got a avowed dislike of groups like Pink Floyd and Post. Alike, hmm. um, I think so many of them are completely overrated. Um, I, I I would rather I would say there's there's more fun to be had listening to the uh, dance compilation Energy Flash Five <laughs> than there is uh, in the entire works of Led Zeppelin. I'm that out there now. I was, we get I was, we I, get I, I
1: was all set to agree with you there, <laughs> but yeah, then you said on. Led Zeppelin, and I just thought that's a bit, that's a bit much. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, uh, here we are, Energy Rush Five. I'm just looking at it online <laughs> now. I'll give you uh, <laughs> what have we got. Sell it, it to it's me. Got tra- track one, Urban Cookie Collective, The Key, The Secret. I li- oh, do then, you know tra-
1: what? I've rediscovered that track recently. That is an absolute banger. Yeah.
3: yeah. Track three, Culture Beat, Mr. Vane. Track four, Hadaway, <laughs> What Is Love. Uh it's got um House of Panor on there, Never Let Go by Hyper go, go Express Two, okay, London uh, Express. Oh now that is a uh, the, banger. Yeah, yeah. in the inner city back together again. Robin S, yeah. Love for Love. Uh, you know, there's some the, good the, stuff. This on is there. the
1: top of the pops I grew up with. This was the kind of yeah. awkward live versions <laughs> of electronic music that I grew up <laughs> with on top of the pops. Yeah, that's that's hitting all the spots to be honest. You can turn uh, that Zevelyn in the bin.
3: <laughs> it, it it ends in a two unlimited mega mix you can make it <laughs> that, whatever you will but a mega mix of what? they, they only had the one track the two hits hang on what was the other hit <laughs> there was there was, there was uh, you're ready for this and then there was
0: get ready technology for technology this techno yeah um, yeah and then no, there was another um, one after that as
3: well um, No Limit
0: No Limit yeah, yeah. No, that,
3: was, no, that, no, was that, that was techno 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 techno. Yeah. yeah and I think there was another one which I can't remember what it was yeah. but that was the sort of stuff I was selling every day <laughs> in our price yeah. and I I didn't I didn't really hate it. Um
2: yeah.
3: it was it was better than a lot of the other stuff that was around. But it's a fantastic job though. I loved it. Yeah. Loved it until it was time to to try and become a writer full time, so I left. Yeah, the only but, real um,
0: problem with working in a record shop is that you don't actually bring any money home because you're always <laughs> no, you <don't>, always <laughs> no, spending no penny. every penny you've got on things yeah. you found in the shop. Yeah, yeah
3: exactly. completely. Yeah. And there's the staff discount as well, but even that's limited. You don't get discount and everything. So mm-hmm. then you're asking your colleagues who aren't quite so into music if you can like use some of their staff discount for this month, because you've used all yours up. That's you no um, problem. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wish they'd had a policy where you could have took stuff home and taped it and brought it back, but no. A yeah. library system, but no. I suppose yeah, in a high I, street I record liking...
1: shop, you couldn't. Well, we spoke to Joe Wallace, uh, yeah. who founded Ramrock Uh, records a couple of weeks ago and she started off in hmv and she spent she basically spent her whole paycheck on records Mm. to the point where the manager called her in for a meeting and said we're kind of worried you're not going to have money to get in and out of work
3: for the next few weeks (laughs) an actual an actual intervention an intervention exactly (laughs) yeah that was it but that was it all of my money i was still Mm. living at home with my parents so all of my money went on cds and booze, basically. They that must was have it. been
1: thrilled. Were they very yeah. pleased? Oh, sure, they <laughs> yeah.
3: What a fine upstanding young man they produced, yeah. <laughs> Moving on then, tell us about your, your third phonographic memory. Um, the third one is uh, the Beatles drive my car. And um, when my daughter was born in 2003, my first child, uh, I decided when she was quite young that... It was my duty to get her into the Beatles mm. because you know it's the mm. Beatles, you know, mm. <laughs> it's got to be done. Um, so I did uh, a compilation CD which we had in the we played in the car. The first track on there was "Drive My Car." I thought I could have gone down the obvious road of starting with "Yellow Submarine" to try mm. and hook her in mm-hmm. with a little kiddie song, but I thought no, we're in the car. It's a car compilation CD. I'll start with "Drive My Car." I know. I'll, I'll 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 treat Texas them maturely. <laughs> yeah, she's you know she's she's 18 months old. She can work it out. She can get a grip of what I'm trying to say her here. Also, so yeah, My Ring Car" is a terrifying song. I don't know if that's a natural <laughs> choice for a kids. Yeah, I think it's that thing. It's like clowns. People have yeah, got exactly. fear of clowns if they've been if they've been kind of. How does this this sound right? Wrongly exposed to a clown <laughs> at some point in their childhood.
1: Exactly. You know, if you
3: if you if you you, you see a clown that you're not expecting, <laughs> it can scar you for life, kind of thing. And I think Yellow Submarine can kind of be like that as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I start with driving my car, and I, I just it, the, the CD was just full of all the pop bangers. <laughs> It did the trick basically and she got into the Beatles and she's still massively into the Beatles and th- throughout her childhood. She's nearly seventeen now. Mm. And we've done lots of Beatly stuff together. It's kinda of like our thing. We've oh. been um we went to what was it? It was a talk by Mark Lewison who's written Beatles books. Mm. And he's um he did a talk about Abbey Road and we went to that a couple of years ago and then a couple of years ago we went there we went to Glasgow to see Paul McCartney. Which was something that I'd wanted to do. I wanted her to see Paul McCartney so that when she's a little old lady and she's like 80, she'd be able to say to people, I saw one of the Beatles live, Mm. and they'll go, What? That was, that Beatles was 150 years ago. That can't be (laughs) possible. (laughs) Fucking hell. Do you know? But she'd be like, Yeah, I did. I did. And we did. We went to Glasgow, and Glasgow's my favourite city. Mm. Glasgow's hilarious and fantastic. And it didn't let us down. When we went up there, we saw just so many mad things going on in the streets and then we were we were sitting right up near the back of the it was the arena in Glasgow, and we're sitting right up in the gods in the cheapest seats, and um, a fight broke out. A fight, <laughs> a fight, a Paul, McCart- a Paul McCartney, a Paul gig. A fight broke out during Obla Bla'dy oh What? Oh, at, least, at least he was know you need is love.
0: <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. What can What can be going on in a crowd that causes a fight to start during Obla I don't this know. This is what my bloody is. marmalade. I'm telling you, it's my <laughs> yeah Yeah. <laughs> Might have been fighting over Quality of white album tracks I don't that know probably. Fight broke out But uh, yeah it, it was It was One of those things where She She's 17 now And she's into her own stuff But we've still got That connection of the Beatles oh, uh, That exactly. we've had since I made that CD So that was the first track on that So oh, that's why I chose that that's one That's lovely um, The
0: Beatles work so well with children I mean like, I, Yeah
3: As a child of
0: course I was completely charmed by them And by the films And all those sort mm-hmm. things. Um, But I, it, when I had my daughter um, six years ago, um, we had a lot of trouble getting her to sleep. It was like, she, you know, this, this mm-hmm. kid was on and she was overwired. She just would not go to sleep no matter what you did. And so we, we really tried hard to think of what we do, build a really strong routine and try and get us to feel like that. And so I searched, I started to search for the song to play every night when it's bedtime. Mm-hmm. And uh, I almost went for Puff the Magic Dragon, Thank I pulled out that <laughs> <laughs> imagine hearing that every night for ten years or whatever. Yeah, um, but I I pulled out um, Goodnight by the Beatles. Oh, and, right. Yeah. Gosh. You know, I, I, I could almost cry thinking about it because yeah, some of the most beautiful moments in my life now were just holding that little baby and singing that song to her. And yeah, it, we did it every single night for mm. you know year, two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to the stage where, um, you know, if we were out and about somewhere and, and uh, like staying at someone's house or something and, and she was overexcited, you take her to a room, play Goodnight on the phone, and by the time it mm-hmm. hit the chorus, she'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Every now and again, um, she, she'll just, at the, at the end of the night, she'll just go, oh, Daddy, put put on the Goodnight song. Aww. And then we'll just, we'll just play it <laughs> again. And I think that's, um, I mean, it's testament. To how how pure a lot of the Beatles stuff was in terms of the melody and the way it's all made. You know, there's yeah. a there's a genuine warmth about a lot of it that um, many bands can't really match. I don't think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll never completely get my head around the Beatles. I don't I don't understand how they did what they did in mm-hmm. it was basically like seven and a half years. I think it was. I don't understand how it was possible to, to cram all that in. In that short space of time, and mm. change as much as they did, and innovate as much as they did, it's 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 it still uh, blows my mind. But yeah. uh, there we are. It doesn't happen now. <laughs> you know, you get al- you get groups that will take four years between albums, and then the album sounds just like the one they did before. And yeah. Because it's they don't, it's don't play intense. ten hours a night in in Hamburg, do they? No, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah, it's Amateur. It's an industry now and, and you know, they'll they'll do their world tour and then they'll take a year off and then record the next album. And yeah, boring. boring. I mean, the, so, the Beatles, just incredible.
1: So you felt like a fatherly obligation to get her into the Beatles and then you sort of discharged that responsibility and that was all done. Were there other things that you attempted to get her into after that? Was that supposed to be like a gateway drug to other aspects of your music taste or did you stop there?
3: Uh, there was a kind of semi successful experiment where I tried to get her into pixies. Mm. Um- which seems to be a strange group to get a small child, into. But, but it was, it was, it was, it was specifically the song "Monkey Gone to Heaven," mm. and I used to sing that though because it's kind of a almost a nursery rhyme kind of chorus to it. This monkey's gone mm. to heaven, and you repeat that, and then she added her own little line at the end of it, which was, "And he never came back." <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh,
3: that's so, I was cool. still a reminder <laughs> about that. But then last year I went to see Pixies, They were still going. Um, I went to see them at Newcastle, and I was I, I'd said to my daughter on the afternoon because um, I'm divorced now, so she lives between my house and her mum's house, um, and I said, um, I'm I'm not around tonight. You'll have to stay at your mum's because I'm I'm going to Newcastle to see a gig. She says, "Who are you going to see?" I says, "Pixies." She went, oh, oh, oh You didn't tell me. Why didn't you tell me you're going to see Pixies? And it turns out she's into Pixies now, and I had no idea ah. because she's doing wow. the thing I did. She's listening to music in her bedroom with earphones on. And I've got no idea what she's into because we don't talk about it much. She's into Pixies and she wanted to go, and I would have loved to have took her to a Pixies gig. And um, I kind of scratched around to see if there was a spare ticket anywhere, and I couldn't get one. Um, so I don't know whether that was as a result of Singing Monkey going to heaven. Can I was gonna was say two. do you do you know. take credit for that? You should. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll take credit wherever <laughs> I can get it. But um, I. I yeah, so there's this kind of things like that. We we went to see Sam Fender recently together. Mm. We're both like Sam Fender. There's a few other things that we're going to go and try and go and see um, when gigs are back up and running again. But um, yeah, um, she's but she doesn't tell me about the stuff she's into, so I don't really know mm. until it's too late, as it was with the Pixies. Well, but, you deserve uh,
0: some sort of parenting award. For yeah, absolutely. Of, I think that you know you've, you've really you've, you've you've seen the opportunities that I can start early. <laughs> Yeah, down the road with with uh, with a, a nice intro of the Beatles, you know,
3: you, nothing, yeah. nothing too scary, nothing yeah. too heavy,
0: and then pretty soon you're playing debaser at full volume on the <laughs> Exactly, <battery. laughs>
3: yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a natural leap, isn't it? You can go kind of
0: helter skelter in between. Have you ever had a uh, amount where you've tried to to voice something
3: and it's just been batted straight back? I've learned you can't do that. I've learned you can't do that, with with, especially once they become teenagers. You can't say to them, listen to this, you'll love it, because they just go, shut (laughs) up, old man. (laughs) Why should I listen to you? And quite right as well, because, you know, that's how it should be. They've got to find their own things. I I mean, my son is more into comedy than he's into uh, music at the minute. And But uh, even with comedy, if I try and sit and watch this, you'll love it. He'll walk out of the room within, like, two minutes. (laughs) So I've learned that I've got to just put stuff on when I know he's going to be buzzing around, and he'll catch attention uh like the one last year was the pink panther films mm. i knew he'd love them but i couldn't say sit down and watch this, this film with me so i just had it on and he came in and sort of oh, oh that's, that's funny <laughs> <laughs> and then sat down and ended up watching it all the way through so that's the way to do it softly softly catchy mm. monkey as i think they say oh, and it you're sitting there feeling advice. very smug i love it when that happens yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so, oh, i got you. <laughs> you you knew nothing about it <laughs> mind game <laughs> That's
1: like the most gentle, sweet-natured type of mind game.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a positive one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Oh, well, that's that's a, a lovely thing, and I think um, you know if you can um, get get your children to um, to grow up to a point where they can really share something with you still, then uh, you really have done a great thing. I think you know that's. A... I
3: hope so. Yeah, I mean we've done lots of Beatles stuff. There was the McCartney gig. We went to the the Beatles Museum in Liverpool and as well so um, I think it's it's like it's embedded now as our thing the Beatles so I um, hope, hope that carries on over the years to come if we're ever allowed out again yeah one, one day, one day. sure crossed. we will
0: one day
1: well you guys will be let out last won't you up in the northeast? Uh well I don't know yeah some kind it's, of social experiment uh, sinister stuff going on uh, out
3: there mm, isn't it just yeah <laughs> isn't it just we'll see what comes next but um, yeah, yeah we're, out, we're pretty much Almost in full lockdown again. It'll get worse before it gets better, I'm sure. I think you're right.
1: And on that on on that joyous note, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Um, so uh, what what are your plans now? As you prepare for another long stint Mm. indoors, have you got a lot of pod action
3: lined up? Mm. Well, the 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 magic of it is that I can do them from home, like I'm doing this one today. Um, I've got a set up with Bob and with Sam where we can record from our own homes, and we do like a a video WhatsApp call so we can see each other, Mm -hmm. and then we just record our own bits, and then I. Join them together in the edit, so it kind of feels as though we're in the same room, even though we're not. So we can just carry on podcasting, um, you know, as long as we're stuck in our own homes. I've I've worked as a freelance writer since 1995, so I, uh, and I've always lived in Sunderland, whereas all the work's been in London. So mm. I'm used to being stuck in the house constantly. So I'm adapting to the to the uh, that feeling of being trapped. <laughs> um, quite well because I've just you know been trapped with with my own company for decades now, so it's it's not too bad as long as I can stay healthy. So mm-hmm. just carry on doing what I'm doing, basically. Yeah. Well, please do. Yeah, wait for this it's... to pass because it will pass. It will.
0: Oh, it will. And the great thing about it is, is as we're all waiting for this terrible time to pass, we have Athletic Events, Upflight Time Machine, and old companies yeah. of New Order being yeah. issued. <laughs> so life's not so bad is yeah, it? Exactly.
3: Yeah. We'll get by. It's not.
0: It's not. We will. We will, of course we yeah. will. <laughs> Thank you so much Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and it was well worth the wait.
3: Thank well, you thanks Andy. For it me. It's been a lot of fun. I feel a bit breathless now. <laughs> 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 yeah. Nap time. Sounds no, good. No. Okay, well, <laughs> good. I, I look plan. forward
0: to um, to uh, crossing swords again uh, at some stage at three in the morning when the top of the pops has been repeated <laughs> and we're both stupidly
3: awake for no apparent reason. Yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. <laughs>
1: so much for listening we always appreciate having your ears and if you enjoy the podcast the best thing you can do for us don't send us money don't send us gifts just go and like and subscribe to the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast that really helps us it gets us in front of new ears if you like the pod Or even if you don't like it, maybe leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's really helpful as well. And uh, if you know any other people who might enjoy it, your friend, your dog, your mom, do send it on to them and uh, help to spread the pod love.